Welcome to 50 Years of Rainbow Activism, a podcast about change, love, resilience and the LGBTQI plus community in Scotland. My name's Dom and supported by Pink Saltire and Our Story Scotland. I spent a month travelling around the country interviewing members of the LGBTQI plus community who are aged over 50. In sharing their stories here, we want to celebrate what our community enjoyed today, reflect on what it was once like to be LGBTQI plus in Scotland, and now what it's like to be seen as a community elder. In part two of Charlie and Michael's story, they discuss Charlie's time at university, the impact of activism on their relationship, and where they fit in now as older gay men. the other bit about that is different in terms of how kind of coming out because you left home went to university um, did your degree did all that kind of stuff I left home the first commas went moved to city moved to a city and no hit the club scene in the way that people would imagine it but my, my education was out through the pop circuit was going out and about was, so the kind of more bitchy kind of judgmental side of that as well about you had to look a certain way you had to be this which you didn't really get. <laughs> I was in Aberdeen. The whole thing was about being warm. That, that was our raison d'etre, was to stay warm. I lived in a flat in Aberdeen with two coal fires, no central heating. Oh, my God. So fashion passed me by. Absolutely. And when we first met, I mean, Michael was such a Ouija. Uh, because you could tell we just because their shoes and buckles on them at that point, and I was just I was still in my designer home nuts. <laughs> you were indeed. You know, you I mean, I, fashion because in Edinburgh, fashion was never the thing that it was in the West. Yeah. It was never part of the identity. Um, so I you know I, I I always laugh at that because basically he started, and that's why I now look like him because he created me in his own image, <laughs> and, you know? and then some. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's all. But, but, that, but when I was going with that, mm-hmm. it was no actually about that side of it. Although that is part of it, mm-hmm. but there's also the bit about because my culture was then about going into pubs or not going into pubs and walking mm-hmm. past pubs and waiting until the street was quiet before you went to the door of the pub. Because you didn't want to see anybody seeing you going in, mm-hmm. and you know all that kind of stuff that happened. And in Edinburgh, it was a bit more liberal. There was Broughton Street. Everything kind of happened in Broughton Street at that time. There was a lot more than Broughton Street. Well, no, in the main, that's what it was at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about before I met you. I was talking about that. And, <laughs> and then there was in well in the Glasgow side, though, there was a kind of. You know, there was a circuit. So, Aye. you know, where I lived, we would, we would all come up on the train or if I used to get a taxi back down the road. But it was a circuit, so we'd start in the Waterloo, we'd go to Squires, we'd go to Austin's, mm. we'd end up in Steps if we were with the lesbians. Mm. If we wondered with the lesbians, we'd end up in Bennett's. Mm. You know, it was that, it was that, that was the routine, the vintners, all that kind of stuff, which was never anything for you. you well, didn't you, you didn't do that at all. The, in Aberdeen in 1984. There was, on a Friday night, the club night, up the stairs in Crazy Daisies. And Crazy Daisies was owned, it turned out, by a friend of a friend. So, uh, and thank God it was there. It was a strip club any other time of the week. 
And in fact, it was a strip club down the stairs and it was in the dock area and upstairs was the gay disco and it was no bigger than this living room. Yeah, that's right. Um, but thank God it was there. It was fabulous, although it was horrendous as well. But thank God Peter ran it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then we had Cellar 69, and that was almost gay. And uh, but, but the big thing for us was the gay sock. And if you've seen Pride, our gay sock ran along the same lines as that, that group that Ed, uh, met in Gays the World. We met up the stairs in King Street in the Workers' Educational Association um, on a Wednesday night. And we all put a huge amount of investment into Gay Sock. And, and I know it was completely politically inappropriate to be called Gay Sock, but that's what it was. It was a group of gay men. Probably at the busiest, it was about 40 of us. Um, town and university... Um, and again, thank God for that. And that then led to a whole network of social events because Fabulosa talks about the the tea parties in people's houses. And in Aberdeen, there was a network of tea, tea parties in people's houses. I didn't fit in that much. First of all, I was too political. I was too, probably the equivalent of grunge, you know, as yeah. a student. Um, I was too left-wing. I didn't fit into that middle class um, vibe in terms of tea parties, but though I went to a few of them. And I think that all started something else in my mind about community and working intergenerationally, because that's always been part of my gay world, has been multiple generations uh, being together that they also had a rich experience to learn from, the older guys. Um, and I I really enjoyed that. In 1985 in Aberdeen, we also, a small group of us, so there was about four of us, five of us, set up Grampian AIDS line. And that was one of the first in the country. Because we didn't have these things, we had to, and because I was a an organiser, so we ended up establishing Grampian AIDS Line, um, and that was pivotal for me in terms of learning as well. And I operated the phone lines, and we did the socials, and we met people. And we, do you know we we opened up a whole world around HIV and AIDS at that point that was unheard of in somewhere like Aberdeen. Because um, remember, the only way for us out of Aberdeen there was a train if you had money was the the stagecoach. I mean, it, it was just we were quite isolated. So we had to think, well, how do we build community? But out of all of that four years, so that was 84 to 88, I ended up hugely lonely because I was seen as a political animal. I was not seen as boyfriend material. Uh, I, I was somebody, I think I scared people because I, I, have got, I haven't got any filters. and Well, I'm better at filters now. But I think put people off. Mm -hmm. So whilst you were exploring the scene, Mm -hmm. I was actually, um, it was so much more a political engagement, but it actually became quite an isolating experience for me because although I had lots of friends and lots of contacts and lots of work to be doing, and I did get a degree out of it as well, but... um, I was 
still going to bed moaning. Mm-hmm. And that's that was hard going. Um, or you know, just drink the one night stands and all the rest of it. But so, yeah. But I think it was pretty important, pivotal almost for me in terms of my identity and everything I was able to explore. The other thing we did in the Gay Sock was we from the grant that the university bought us. I would go down to Lavender Menace or Gaze the Word and fill up bags of books and take them back up to Aberdeen, and we basically had a lending library, and that was one of the things, and videos as well, um, huge amount um, of videos. That So a meeting for us could well be spending an hour and a half or two hours watching a film and then talking about it. So we were able to engage with the bigger world, but it, it was in a very different way, but you had to be pragmatic. Sorry, that was a bit of a diatribe. So unlike you, just so unlike you. I don't know where that came from. No, normally so retiring. No, the older guys. It was more that sense of limited opportunity and ability to live their lives. It, it made me angry hearing their stories and thinking it could have all been so much more. However, it was always, always cut through with this amazing sense of humour. And Fabulosa speaks about that as well. And actually, I revel in that. I love that bitch of humour. I, I, I think that's just been so important, a survival technique. One of my favourite stories about that is that there was a book written called Virtually Normal. And by that point, it was in the 90s, but it was referring to um, the gays in the military in uh, America. And the author, who was quite prim, he was a gay man, but he was quite prim, and he knew what he wanted, and he wanted equal recognition before the law and all the rest of it. And I went to book reading, and uh, he was saying, you know, and I was outraged, and it says in the book, I was outraged because here we were on this march about gays in the military, and here were four queens with gays in the millinery, and their, their banner, and I'm like, well, I'm with them. That's me. I want gays in the millinery. You know, and, and it's let's always not take ourselves too seriously. I know that huge challenges for people on an ongoing basis, but must never take ourselves too seriously. We need to do it with a sense of humour because we are other. I celebrate my otherness. I suppose that's one of my big things now. I want to be other. I think that's right, that being other. We are other. I think that is right. My concern about othering mm-hmm. is that othering very quickly leads to blame. Yeah. And and my, my concern about how the current climate for the gay community mm-hmm. or the LGBTQI community mm-hmm. is that it's becoming very fractured and it is becoming very mm. othering. Mm. There are some people who are on Twitter at the moment who are very anti-trans mm. and they're people of our peer age group. Mm-hmm. And that's what worries me is like, I thought we might have been better mm. than this and we're not. Mm. Um, but what worries me about that is if they, their strength of feeling and the fact that we, I can't see what their research and their evidence is for having that strength mm-hmm. of feeling when actually what we're talking about is allowing people to live the life mm-hmm. that they want to lead. Mm-hmm. And I agree completely, because I want to be other. I don't want to be othered. Yes. I do not want other people to other me, because I'll soon tell them if I feel 
that they are encroaching on who I am as a person. But my sense of other is this LGBTQIA to Z, multicoloured, wonderful rainbow world of acceptance and inclusion. That's what I want to create in, in this world. And I similarly have huge concerns about where we're going now because I think one of the unintended consequences of the equality we have achieved is that there is a lack of um, unity and understanding that actually it's not good enough to say, well, I'm all right, Jack. I've got my um, equal recognition. We've got our civil partnership. Um, we are not interested in marriage, I have to say. And there's a lot of a lot of men of our age, age and our peer group who would agree this is not about marriage. Actually, I'm not interested in marriage, but the civil partnership was very important. But that's not enough to stop the fight. No. Because the fight will never stop. And Christopher White, who's an Edinburgh novelist, wrote a brilliant book called The Gay Decameron in 1995-ish. And there's an amazing section in that book set in Hart Hill service station. It's brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely recommend it. But it, it's about be very careful because everything we have can be taken away. And that's what worries me even more. I mean, the trans debate is toxic, and I don't think it's helping anybody, actually, at the moment, and I think it has to come to an end very soon, and people have to take responsibility for the the hatred that they're, they're sowing. However, there's then that greater move to the right that we see across the world, and the first thing they will do is come from for those that are other. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you run away from being other. That means you celebrate being other and you keep fighting for your rights, you know. And you take the learning that we've got and you use it for other people. I don't think there is a hierarchy of oppression. I think oppression is wrong and needs to be stopped, whoever it might be. Uh, targeting, so whether it's caring, experienced people, young trans people, older gay men, older it doesn't matter to me if it's not right, it has to be addressed and I think what's happened is so many people in our community have fallen away from political activity mm-hmm. because they are alright, because they are married, they've got their nice lives and I think that's what's worrying me now that um, in achieving what we've achieved, we've almost retrenched a bit. Um, and it's that question that we have often about, well, where do we fit in, in this amazing yeah. world that is being created of diversity? Um, because we are shapeshifters, and we've done mm-hmm. that a lot as well. We've also had careers, and we, we, we sometimes have been quite quiet, not too quiet, but we have been quite quiet on the gay. But well, because there was a pragmatism in there. Because when we we were moving into our careers, social workers working with children, mm-hmm. God Almighty, the last thing you'd to say was you were gay. Although at every interview for a job that I have ever had, I have told people I'm gay. and they, Because it's this bit about my identity defines mm-hmm. me. Um, so at every job, my first job uh, on leaving uh, university, I said that and it was this big, it was a residential unit for um, homeless young people and 
the person who was interviewing me said, well, you know, obviously business and pleasure won't mix. And I said, well, and I hope you're saying that to all the other candidates. And she just <laughs> looked at me in horror and I was like, I'm not having it. Um, mm-hmm. So there was always for me, I suppose the political was helpful because mm-hmm. it made me that bit stroppier. I qualified and because I'd run up so much debt, I ended up working in the Waterloo for a while. Um, so I got to know the community in a different way. And actually that that was, in loads of ways, really, really, really important. Um, but when I worked there, it was such a cross-section of people that went into it. And that was quite an eye-opener for me. So I think we talked earlier on about kind of like, what about older people? And I remember, for example, there was a, an older man who must have been in his late 60s, early 70s, who got the bus in from the north end of the city, came in, had his three pints and went home. And one of the days, I can't remember why, but the manageress of the pub had said, because I drove and she'd said, oh, could you give him a lift home? But I can't remember why, but I gave him a lift home and that was really interesting to have that chat with him. And he was basically saying that, you know, other than coming to the pub, which he did kind of, I think it was maybe about two or three times a week, because he was on a, a pension, that was his only social interaction. So the three pints were really, really important to him, but he knew he could only have three. And how he described it was, I could only have three because if I have my fourth, I might not be responsible. And that, that was obviously his fear about where he lived. And I mean, and he lived, he, he was always immaculately dressed and all that kind of stuff, and he obviously lived in a, a nice wee house. But it was in a community where, had he been in any way vulnerable or shown any vulnerability, he obviously didn't feel safe. And that has always stuck with me as well about, you know, what we've done and relocating and moving here and buying a house. It's been about getting a house in the right area because you want to be in an area where you think it's going to be okay. Very much so. Um, Very much so. And, you know, although we, we were a bit offended when the estate agent said when we, we bought this flat, so you're future-proofing because we were kind of using our dog as an excuse for that because it's on the ground floor and the dog needs to get out to go to the toilet. There was part of it where we genuinely were because we were thinking we want to get something that's going to be comfortable enough for us but actually, God forbid, but if it's only one of us it's going to be manageable enough for us as well mm-hmm. having lived in big properties in mm-hmm. the past um, mm-hmm. and that is what we've done so we've, we've started to think about that and part of that for me has been about you know, jokingly with some of our gay pals we've looked at this building we're in and talked about when other properties come up whether other people might buy almost creating our own community, another community because we don't see, and and we both know this from our professional experience, Mm. we don't see that being available to us we absolutely don't see that That, that's probably my next big agenda you know, probably when I retire I I will start that agenda about where am I going to go and to go into a retirement village you'd want to know what their equality and diversity policy is. You'd want to know that accepting of same-sex couples. You'd want to know that they actually are going to manage that if somebody is homophobic towards you. Because in my later years, I don't want to have that worry. And nor should I have to have that worry, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I, I I would like... One of the things we, we talked earlier on about the two books we've read, and one of them um, it was about... From that, you were saying really kind of clearly about, you know, we probably want to think about trying to pull a group group of men of our age together no for I mean you know I know the gay outdoor clubs and stuff, stuff like that but much more about stuff like just having these conversations um, but, but building up a network of people that actually when the chips are down you can go to for, for whatever reason or just for somebody to be alongside you and, and I, I worry about I think we've been lucky we might not always feel that in a relationship but we've been lucky to find each other and we've had this relationship but if we didn't have that <laughs> And you've got to this age and you're still on your own. 
it must be a really scary place to think you've got another 20 odd years of being on your own yeah because nobody wants to shag you when you're over 50 as well I mean there are I, I think our, our community what's left of it absolutely needs to be accepting of diversity in everything and we're not one of the most diverse uh, communities we can find in the world and we've been from Sydney to San Francisco yeah. looking but actually Spain offers so much more and Gran Canaria and I know lot, lots of queens will be screaming at that but but actually Gran Canaria is the most amazing place there are more and more families um, gay and lesbian families coming it, we don't have that Part of that is, I think, the weather, because we live our life behind closed doors in Scotland, and I think we do that deliberately because it's so bloody awful. Um, but but no, in terms of age, in terms of um, being able to reminisce like we're doing here, or being able to talk about the past and talk about the future with people who share an understanding of where we've been and where we might go is really, really important. And we've got some friends that we, yeah. we do do that with. Um, but there is more there, and Matthew Todd it was, was suggesting actually establishing some sort of group. And it's almost like back to the beginning for me, if I go that way... Yeah. Um, but actually, I would I would love to. It's like a, a, a men's shed, but a lovely pink men's shed <laughs> with an espresso coffee machine. You know, that and kind of scones. thing. Yeah, and, and all of scones, exactly. <laughs> That's really, really important. But, but yeah, something like that, I think, is really, really important. And I then also think we need to think about the cross-generational work because I, I uh, have had a few skirmishes um, in debates and discussions with young people over the last few years um, and the the challenge that keeps coming is you need to check your privilege now see that's a red rag to bull for me I appreciate I have got privilege I'm a white man I'm relatively not disabled uh, I might have health conditions but but actually I know what my privilege is I know what it does for me um, I do think I probably need to work in humility a wee bit, but but to challenge people in that check your privilege, it's like you have no concept of what I have gone through to get to this point, um, and we've worked bloody hard, and we, we nearly worked ourselves into early graves mm-hmm. in terms of career. We've taken our foot off that pedal a bit, but actually... Um, we we know the, 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 the pain, the hurt, the, the guilt, the, the childhood trauma that we've experienced and that felt far from privilege. And I feel quite incensed when I get that back from young people when I'm like, oh, I'm privileged. It's, uh, you want to look the other way. I mean, um, so I don't think it's a useful um, lens to see things through. And so I do think we need to do far more work as a community in terms of inclusion. Um, one of the big things we did last year was go to the festival to 147 Hertz Camp Pass, which was about um, a non-binary person's reflections in life. And it was a really pivotal hour for me in, in, in recent times because it showed me that 
there was a commonality in terms of issues and experience expressed differently, but actually very, very similar. And I, I, this individualism that we are moving to now, I think in the world and in Scotland, is just so unhelpful. And, and really, really cuts across everything that I've always tried to achieve, which is about community and belonging and empowerment and diversity and all of those things. Um, and all came out of my left-leaning minor strike support and uh, anti-nuclear armaments, um, anti-Tory uh, politics, you know. And finding somewhere that was the first place that said, "I, it's okay, you can belong here if you want." They they were quite accepting, you know, the whole pits and perverts movement in terms of working with the minor strike never happened to that extent for us. Um, but we used theatre and Wildcat Theatre was a big one. Seven eighty four was a big one, and they were really really pivotal in in bringing communities together, different communities of interest. Um, it it was a good time to be alive because politically we were so active and there were so many local issues. So we can talk about globalisation and we can talk about the whole uh, Greta Thunberg and um, environment and everything, but this was a much more internal political struggle um, which resonated for me, I think, a bit more. I suppose as you were talking there, I was thinking as well about um, the the bit that probably rankles with me more is having fought against and failed to stop Section Twenty Eight mm. being introduced. Ah, you know, being as, introduced as a community. We then, you know, we found ourselves in a situation as a result of a job that you then took on, mm-hmm. being to the forefront of mm-hmm. repealing it in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So we were, mm-hmm. we were, Charlie had a, had a job that actually. His organisation was challenged by the the Christian right as part of the whole um, ban- a keep the clause mm. campaign, mm. Um, day one kind mm. of thing. And I suppose that that we we kind of came into that mm-hmm. through kind of career paths and mm-hmm. whatever we were getting all our jobs and relationship and relationship. Because I only went for the job because you were in Glasgow and I wanted a job in Glasgow. Aye, but but what I was going to say was so we did <laughs> that, but but it was about we were still I suppose we had stepped away from the gay community gay campaigning to mm-hmm. be just be gay men mm-hmm. and actually end up slap bang mm-hmm. in the middle of the gay community and you were one of the leaders of that mm-hmm. period which was mm-hmm. a challenge for us in our relationship as well because mm-hmm. I certainly didn't want to be to that forefront. Mrs Chief Executive. Mrs Chief Executive, exactly. Never did I want to be Mrs <laughs> Chief Executive. <laughs> You're yeah. more likely to wear a twin set in than I So in terms of my story, from 93 to about 2000, I disappeared off into my career, but at the same time disappeared off into my major depression because I think the, the first 25 years of my life really crumbled at that period in Dumfries, um, and I worked in Dumfries for a while. Um and then I found my way to Edinburgh, and that's when I actually engaged with the gay scene, rather than creating communities, there was a community there, and so I took it at face value, and I had a whale of a time, 
I absolutely loved it. Um, and there's a whole program in there, a whole podcast in there about public sex environments and um, clubs and pubs and Scotland dipping its toes in the water, um, sex positivity, which we've never been very good at as a country. Um, but we did try. Um, and again, we see that in Gran Canaria in a way that's celebratory, no seedy, but actually wonderful. Um, so I, I do think that the legacy of religion, the 60s and 70s, austerity, I mean, we talk about austerity now, but by God, austerity, poverty, no country lived in poverty, um, meant that there was this disinclination to actually having that broader view of the world. Um, but Edinburgh was an amazing experience, and I had cinema, and I had theatre, and I had the gay scene, and that was where we met. And then when I met, Michael was working in Irvin. I was living in Edinburgh and working in Edinburgh, and we agreed that we'd bring our lives together. And uh, so then I got a job at Face West, as the chief executive at Face West. And I started on the 4th of January 2000. Mm-hmm. And on the 4th of January 2000, the Christian Institute took Glasgow City Council to court because they funded Face West in their uh, terminology to provide pornography to primary school children, which was a, an HIV uh, leaflet. And so on my first day, I ended up being interviewed by... Uh, numerous newspapers and papers um, about um, this situation and being at the heart of the Section 2A debate and what were we going to do about it. <laughs> so that was my introduction at Face West. And we won with the help of Stonewall, who funded a lot of the work and some private individuals, uh, legal defence. Um, and Glasgow City Council came through as well. It was a bit ropey to start with, but they really did come through once they realised what was happening. Um, so we ended up going to the High Court in Edinburgh, um, and that was the, the height of my media career. I was interviewed by Radio 4. I was so chuffed. Um, Emma Simpson interviewed me for Radio 4. Um, but we, we had two, we about 18 months of... That legal chat. I mean, it was. It went on and on, and then at the same time, of course, combination therapy had arrived. So, Face West was an HIV and AIDS charity, and uh, a combination therapy had come along. So, the medical establishment, which had been all too happy when when HIV was not something there was any treatment for, to give the money to the voluntary sector, then decided they all they wanted all their money back. So we had to set up the West of Scotland HIV and AIDS Alliance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the things I have done, but we had a great time. Again, I think because the politics of opposition are actually where I sit really comfortably and really happily. But um, the Section 2A stuff was nasty. Um, the papers were terrible, and some papers in particular. And I was recounting the story actually at work recently about my... Uh, Sun interview. The Sun interviewed me once and it took 45 minutes and I tried really hard and I held to my lines and 
had a great interview, actually, and the person was totally personable on the end of the phone. And on the Saturday morning, because it was going to be on Saturday's son, said to my client, I need to go and get the papers. And I went and got the papers. And we were in various papers at that point. And uh, what the son had printed from the 45-minute interview was Charlie McMillan, chief executive of Facebook, said, it's outrageous. And actually, do you know, I burst, again burst out laughing because you've got to have that wicked sense of humour because uh, it was so laughably funny. And there were friends of mine across the country saying, yeah, you probably did say that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know, but, but really, that was how they approached it and they were homophobic and they were nasty to a, a, a level of just outrage. Different from nowadays because it wasn't social media. So it wasn't personalised. It was very much about the work and what we were trying to achieve and trying to do. But I, I worked at uh, Face West and then it became Face Scotland for three years. And I had a great time, but the personal cost of working there was too much. And that's, that's the bit that I was going to talk Aye. about as well, was a bit about... Because actually to be... A member of a community and be a representative of that community is mm. actually really, really, really tiring mm-hmm. because you never get downtime. And that was really challenging for both of us in mm-hmm. different ways. And I think because because of how Charlie operates, because he is very personable, he is very approachable. I can be. I'm probably a bit more <laughs> bit more reserved on that point. And so I was I ended up becoming a bit like the Rockweiler, so I would growl at people basically mm-hmm. to get them away from the table because it was like this is just too much. And that was when, you know, an opportunity came up for you anyway, but I was really pushing the kind of, mm-hmm. no, take it. Please mm-hmm. take the next opportunity because if it gets you away from that. And that's why the kind of check your privilege thing really rankles. Because mm-hmm. I keep thinking, no, this is actually about us, our survival. Um, and it did have a massive impact. I mean, our drinking at that point went through there. I talk about it. There's a film called 15 Years of Alcohol. We didn't really have 15 years, but we had five years of alcohol. And by God, did we drink. Everything was focused on alcohol. Um, and so the cost in terms of my mental health was quite significant. Um, because, again, this dichotomy between what I was presenting to the world and what I was feeling. But but the community um, we were part of and the issues that they were dealing with were fundamental to people's lives. Um, and it was so ill-resourced and poorly resourced and, and not given the credibility it deserved. And I spent my life trying to argue um, for resources, for respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had allies, don't get me wrong, and there are some fabulous, fabulous people uh, trying to do absolutely the right thing. But I don't think anybody realised the level of need... I think as a, a world we're maybe much better now we're talking about need is infinite. In those days people weren't they? and need was was just constant. Um, and when you had a group, a small group of really committed folk as we had in Face West uh, try to do so much but too much. And so my, my whole interest in emotional competence and literacy and organisations really came to the fore at that point, having learned a lot about it in my social work jobs. Um, 
So, yeah, but, oh God, it was a wild, wild period. And I would never live, have lived without it, but then again, I was pleased to move on from it. Um, it, 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 it did have a cost. Um, and it, it was difficult for us to have a relationship in that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the whole expectation, I, I think I was too young to be a chief exec anyway. I don't think I was able to um, disconnect my responsibilities professionally for the fact that I had, um, what, about 20 people's mortgage dependent on what I could do to bring in the money to pay. And so it, it was a really um, wild word because it wasn't bad, but it was wild. It was crazy. Um, um but it was character forming as well, in retrospect. In retrospect. At the time, it was just crazy. Um, and that, that people were living alone, they were isolated. Our community was isolating people who were HIV positive. Our community was isolating people who had issues in terms of trans identity or alcoholism or drug use. And we just seemed terribly bad at including people who are struggling. But that's... So I suppose that's probably my personal agenda going forward is much more about mm-hmm. compassionate lives and just about we actually should show compassion for everybody um, mm-hmm. rather than... And mm-hmm. yes, there, there are risks, inherent risks with decisions that people make that might impact on other people, but as a society we should be able to manage that and we should be able to self-police that without the need for us to be vehemently against anything within mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there are mm-hmm. obviously red lines in that, but, you know, jumping back to the trans thing, but, you know making blanket statements about the trans community is fundamentally wrong and and just should not be allowed. Mm-hmm. That that's that's where it's at for me. Um Yeah, that, you mean the risk of a predator who is now identified as a woman who used to be a man. Aye. Oh, it's just utter tosh. And if that was the way that we designed our society and our lives and our laws, we'd do nothing. We do absolutely. We'd be so risk averse. Yes, there are challenges that have to be faced up to and lived with, but that doesn't mean you do that by denying the whole community of people their rights. Mm-hmm. That's just unacceptable. Um, I, I, and so I, I don't think, and I think people have seemed able to disconnect things they might believe in, like equality, from the rights of yes. people who are trans. Yes, yes. And I just can't get my head around it. You're either pushing for equality for everyone and we're not asking for anything different for anybody or you're no I feel quite a lot of guilt about people's experience now because mm-hmm. it's like the logical consequence of the journey that we started so the, the phone world the phone yeah. date naps and uh, listen to me like I don't know what I'm talking about but date naps and um, drugs and uh, that quest and what they seem to be striving for is someone but they're going about it all the wrong way. And I'm really worried that that's been a consequence of the work that we did. That was never the intention. And I think that's where I do go on to that bit about assimilation. Assimilation was never my intention. I never wanted to assimilate. And yeah. it's great that more and more people are talking about that now. My striving was all about creating a, a world that would accept difference. And I just see that 
assimilation. We weren't strong enough on saying, no, 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 this is not about assimilation. I think you're right. I think it's it's more about, it's not assimilation, it's about acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So it was about that more than anything else. But actually, I think the reason why it never worked like that was because I don't think when we were doing it, and I'm, when I we say we, conscious. we weren't conscious that that's what was happening. No, no. You know, and and it is, and it, I suppose the, the bit for me, and I think it is interesting, I know that we would have this debate with younger people anyway, mm. the bit about marriage. Because mm. I see marriage as a heterosexual concept. Mm-hmm. So, and I see it as a religious concept mm-hmm. as well. So, which is why, you know, we've had friends who have, and I use inverted commas <laughs> very wisely, upgraded their civil partnership. Aye. Um, and I'm like, you never upgraded anything. Mm. You, like it's the same thing. It was a legal transaction. It was about security for us. Mm-hmm. That's what it was about. It was about, and that was the first time in law that our relationship could be recognised, mm-hmm. which will make it easier when one of us go to mm-hmm. be able to actually make sure mm-hmm. that our estates are clear. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because we and we've got that experience. We've got the experience of a friend of ours who's murdered on holiday, mm-hmm. um, who whose partner was not recognised mm-hmm. at the funeral, mm-hmm. a very big public mm-hmm. funeral, mm-hmm. and wasn't acknowledged mm-hmm. or recognised mm-hmm. because there was nothing. And that's mm-hmm. that's horrendous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely horrendous. Totally. And wrong. More, just fundamentally wrong. Yeah, no, I, I, I would absolutely agree. And, 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 and so the heterosexual hegemony and uh, aping heterosexuality are concepts that we absolutely, I totally reject a slip in there. Because it's very easy to do, mm-hmm. but actually it's not the world I want. And I I don't hear enough at the moment. There are some people talking about it, but there's not enough at the moment saying there are more than one there's more than one way of being. I think that's what worries me about what I hear and read. And there's this bit about it's diversity that's missing in all of this. But we need to be celebrating diversity on an ongoing basis and realising that's when you have to check your privilege. That's when you have to actually reassess your value base. Because diversity is everything. And it was always meant to be everything. I just wish I'd known that 35 years ago. Because I didn't. Um, but but it is, it's about inclusion, belonging community um, and then we've got to deal with the, the strays I mean that's only in our community that's never mind the greater uh, um, number of people in the straight community um, that's a huge amount of work still to do As you've heard our community is built from multiple identities and individual challenges and our stories clearly show the overlapping themes that bond us together as a community. The LGBTQI plus community is further bonded with society and the fact that we're all getting older and I know I'm not alone in thinking we need to do better in listening to and caring for our LGBTQI plus elders. Thanks for listening to 50 Years of Rainbow Activism. The series was organised by Pink Saltire, funded by the National Lottery Communities Fund Scotland, and special thanks to Our Story Scotland for archiving our interviews at the National Library of Scotland. To find out more or to get involved in similar projects, please visit pinksaltire.com.